Welcome, welcome online, Living Fellowship. Uh, appreciate all of you coming out today. It's a great decision to serve the Lord. Come and hear the Word of God and be fed. The Word of God, huh, Carrie? The manna from heaven, the fountain of living water, Jesus. We've been talking about the I Am. And Walker did a great job on um, Thursday night talking about that. And uh, I was telling somebody, if you weren't on, you missed it. As Dan come on afterwards and exhorted the church, prophesied, and it was some great things that took place from there. Very excited about it. But Walker talked about some of those things that I've been talking about, and I was looking forward to doing it again this week. And then God really inspired something with me, and I'm going to go that route, and maybe we'll come back to the I Am next week. How does that sound? I'm going to visit a few thoughts in it, but this week, do you remember sometime back I taught about uh, telling God no? Have you ever told God no? And more than likely, all of us had done it at one time or another. But there's examples in the scriptures of it we're going to visit and look at here today. I don't think anybody told God no more than the Apostle Peter. But you know what the good news is? God told the Apostle Peter that on his revelation of Jesus Christ, he would build his church. The gates of hell would not prevail against it. He, gave, he said, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonas, because what Peter had received, he received from the Father. He said, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And um, Peter may have told the Lord no, but the whole time he was trying to say yes with his actions. And, and he ended up getting it right. But I'll tell you this, there are great examples, and we're going to bring them out here today, of those that told the Lord yes. When the Lord asked them, to do something for them. And one of the greatest ones, I have one better than this, but was Abraham. And we're going to talk about it in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, we refer to as a faith chapter. Uh, Abraham left his father's house not knowing where he was going to go. But when God called him, Julie, he said yes. And we got some great examples of that. There's one that's even greater. Does anybody know who that is? Daryl? Jesus. Jesus. When he was called to leave his father's house in heaven, to come to a place of corruption, Daryl, utter destruction, to come and give his life after 33 and a half years, to be hated, to be despised, to be crucified and, die, and to die for people that didn't even know him. How many of you would have been first in line to say, I want to go? Jesus did. Everything his father asked him to do, he said yes. And he said yes. And we're going to teach a story from 1 Corinthians, uh, the 15th chapter, the resurrection chapter. I think Paul does a very good job of uh, showing us the resurrection through Adam, both first and last. So Adam of the earth, earthy, Jesus the Lord from heaven. And... Um, so not only do we have examples of telling the Lord no, but we got some pretty good examples of telling the Lord yes. And this is why it's so important, even bringing it down to the, um, the physical realm and raising children. You know, the, the scriptures teach us, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. In other words, yes and no. When you're raising children or God's raising us, he doesn't enable us to do things that we want to do just because we whine and cry enough. But kids will do that to parents, won't they? You tell them they want to do this, and you say, no. And they ask you again, they say, no. They throw a fit, and you say, yes. 
What are you teaching your children when we do that? That's exactly right. Carrie said it. You're teaching them, I'm a liar. What I say I do not mean. Guess what? That is not God. And that's why when he talks in the scriptures about let your yea be yea and your nay be nay and anything else besides that is evil. Because God is not going to raise you up and let you think or believe he's a liar. There's another entity that is that. And that is the devil. So when we're raising kids, if you'll just listen to me, I've raised a few of them. <laughs> Daryl's raised more than me. Um, if you tell your children one thing and then do another, subliminally and subconsciously, Daryl, aren't you teaching them? My word means nothing, and I am a liar. And kids are smart. Man, they will pick up on that. Huh, Bryce? You got little ones. Little bitty. I'm not saying you've done it, but I'm sure you've experienced it. That you gotta, when you say something, you mean what you say and you say what you mean. That's God, isn't it? Now, God's kind and he's merciful and he'll, he'll work with you and he'll help you. But I'm just giving you a little bit of a physical ad advice here. That you don't want to teach your kids that your words mean nothing. Let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. Amen? Go with me to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter and the 45th verse. I don't know how many of you are listening online, but Pastor Dan and I have been teaching some things. We do it in a different way. We use different scriptures. We say things differently. But man, the unity that's there with what uh, Dan's preaching about the veil and, and Christ being veiled and what I'm teaching about the I am. I'm looking so forward to getting back into it because just a real quick thought of what I'm doing is, is how, Jennifer said this this morning, opening up, how do you know Jesus? Do you know him? How has he appeared unto you? Because we know, what he say, 1 John 3 and 2? Walker, we want to read that for us? Starts off with the beloved. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when we see him, we shall be like him. I'm going to let Walker finish, read it. First John 3 and 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. See, that's why I'm having him read it. We left that out. You know where else it talks about now? And we'll, we'll look at it in um, Hebrews 11. Now faith. You hear that? Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Walker, it's now faith. When are we the beloved? Now. Read it. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That is a great desire of your Father which is in heaven, for you to see his Son as he is. And how do we see him, Julie? How he appears unto us, how he comes to us. And one of the biggest points I'm making this whole thing, and I think that's a unity of what Pastor Dan's doing in Chicago with what we're doing here, is those that didn't know Jesus, and I'll go this far, those that hated him, despised him, wanted to kill him, only saw him as a man. They never saw him as deity. They would not confess that he is the son of the living God because that would make him the Son of God, which is in heaven, the Father. And they absolutely wouldn't go there. Matter of fact, Julie, that was what they hated more than anything about Jesus. You being a man maketh yourself God. Now, if you could have a lawyer there or somebody stand on the side of Jesus, Bryce, 
which he didn't need this, but when they said, you being a man, make it yourself God, you would stand up and say, I object, he is God. Huh? He is God. He can show up to you and say, I am that I am. I am Jehovah, the existing one, the eternal God. I am God manifest in the flesh. But Jesus didn't need anybody to testify of him. Why? Because his father was going to testify of him and bear witness of him. Now, my point here is, if you're only seeing him as a man, like many did in Scripture, and Sharon, you remember what they said about him? He's a wine-bibber. He was born of fornication. He is a gluttonous man. Uh, isn't this his father, the carpenter over here, huh? They only saw him as a man. Now, my point is, in your walk with God and being a spiritual individual, you want to go beyond. Is Jesus a man? Absolutely. Is he God manifest in the flesh? 100%. Is he the I am? That when he appears to you, you shall see him as he is and be like him. Now, the reason, one of the big reasons we're preaching this is, and this is so interesting, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. And I'm just going to paraphrase this. You can look at it in your own time. But Paul talks about, he said, we know no man after the flesh. Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now know we him no more. Right? I say, okay, yeah, the apostles. He said we. So he's speaking for the apostles. Paul is, right? He said, we knew him after the flesh. Now you've got to think a little bit farther in this. Paul did not walk with Jesus like the other 11. So what does he mean we knew him after the flesh? Well, we just saw him as a man. Do you remember the book of Acts, the first chapter? See, Paul didn't walk with Jesus, Carrie. But he had, for a time, just perceived him as a man. But then how did Paul perceive Jesus after his conversion? Because before he was just a man that was trying to be God. After his conversion, he's a man that is God. Did he become his savior, Carrie? Did he become, yeah, who art thou, Lord? Did he become the existing one? Julie, you sent me that text this week, and you said the I am, but it's actually Jehovah. Jehovah means the existing one, the eternal God. So did Jesus go from being a man that Paul thought was usurping authority of God and needed to be killed along with anybody that believed with him to Jehovah, Julie, to the existing one? To his Lord, he said, who art thou, Lord? It is I, Jesus. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks, didn't he? So when Paul's talking about, though we've known Christ after the flesh, henceforth know we him no more, what he's saying is, we have learned Christ. That Jesus, just like Paul identified in his epistles, all of them really, in the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, for Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. That makes Jesus way more than a man, Bryce. A Word that was with God, that was God in the beginning. And you remember the book, the very first thing John testified of Jesus. I'm not the light. I'm here to bear witness of the light. He is the true light. Right? And then you look at John's writings, and we did this last week when we come back and visit it again. Uh, Brittany's going to write on the board a lot of the IMs that I talked about there. My whole point in all of this is, 
You remember at the resurrection, many of the bodies that, uh, of the saints that were in the grave slept? At the resurrection, they came out of the graves, and they were seen in the holy city. You guys know the scriptures? This will give you a good jump on the next time we talk about it, and we're getting ready to celebrate Easter, so what a better thing to build up than with the resurrection, right? There's something very important about this, though. It said, when he rose from the dead, the veil to the temple was rent in twain, okay? Showing that the way to the holiest of holies was open now. Now, we're working in type and shadow with the tabernacle, but in Hebrews, I believe it's Hebrews, Walker, you look it up, the veil, that which is to say his flesh, when it was taken out of their way of their perception that he was just flesh, what gets open to you? The holiest of holies, the place where only a mediator, Julie, could go, that has been called, that has been chosen, that has been sanctified and ordained to hear from God. He did that for all of us. Come on, think about this. Is it possible that even unbeknownst to ourselves, we still look at Jesus after the flesh and he's veiled to us? Do you remember? This is going to be a part of the teaching. When Moses went up to get the commandments, huh? Did he veil his face? Do you know that the Bible says that, um, and I do want you to get this one, Walker. I think it's 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. Um, when he, Moses veiled his face, what was he doing? Why did he hide the glory that he'd received from receiving the commandments from God on Mount Sinai? Why did he hide his face for that glory? Why did he veil his face? Because his face shined, huh, Carrie? So a man's wisdom maketh his face to shine? You mean to tell me, Carrie, that... Um, Moses received those commandments in wisdom and understanding, but then he veiled his face. The knowledge of Jesus Christ is hid. You got the scriptures for me? Let me find them. We, we may not get into the telling yes and no here today. We may just do what we're doing. The knowledge of God is hid in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's see here. 2 Corinthians 3, is that right? Where you at, Kerry? Yeah, so Moses hid his face, right? Oh, wow, this is good. Let's go all the way to three, because I've been thinking about this all week long. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to, hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light, is this an I am, Walker? I am, the light of the world. John said, he is the true light. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Does the spirit of this world, does this God of this world, blind your minds to only perceive Jesus as flesh? To not see him as deity. To not see him as the word of salvation, the word of the Lord sent from heaven. The word that comes to you, Tim, that brings you out of darkness. The word that will come and raise you out of a, a pit out of the miry clay, a, a word that will bring you out of prison, that will heal you, that will make you free. But if he's got you just thinking he was a man 2,000 years ago, you know, praise God that gave his life, that was buried and risen in three days, but that's all has he blinded your minds from the truth of who Jesus really is. Watch this. 
For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. Where's this light coming to, Walker? <laughs> to give the light of the, of the, let me do that again. Have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to have to follow me just a little bit. Use a little bit of wisdom and understanding here. Well, when you're talking about authority, how does it work? God, Christ, the man, the woman. The head of every woman is the man. The head of every man is Christ. And the head of Christ is God. Now that, you may think, well, that's, uh, you know, the pecking order. That's the order of authority. Listen to what it said. The head of every man is Christ. What did Moses veil? His face. He veiled his head. He veiled Christ to them. <laughs> Why? Why would he do such a thing? What do you think? Why would Moses receive the word of God in wisdom and understanding and then veil his face, veil the understanding of the commandments that he had just received? It's an interesting question, isn't it? To Israel. Why, Julie? Boy, they sure did that, didn't they, Julie? They made another God. Why else? Yes. Say again. Because they're still in the flesh. It does talk about that, that when the veil is taken away, huh, and their heart is turned towards God, now Christ is no longer veiled. But Israel, weren't they used, in the book of Hebrew tells us, as an, an example of unbelief? Is God going to reveal the deep things of God to an evil heart of unbelief? That's what it says. No, Daryl, the reason he did that is because they were going to be used as an example he said, don't follow after the example of Israel. Don't follow after their evil heart of unbelief. Why? Because the God of this world, huh? Christ will be veiled to you. So when you hear the word of the Lord and you come to receive the commandments like Moses did, go like the man of God Moses went. Believing, receiving, accepting everything God had for him. And then when you take it to others, you won't have to veil Christ. You won't have to veil the knowledge of God hid in the face of Jesus Christ. Those are just some of the things I'm thinking about. I don't know if you guys are interested in any of that stuff like that. But since we've come this far, go with me. I believe it's 2 Corinthians 5. I hadn't, honestly, hadn't planned on talking about this, but it's burning so much in my heart, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And we'll come back and see who has told God no. All right? 2 Corinthians 3. This is exactly what we've been talking about. The chapter starts off talking about the difference between the administration of condemnation, which Moses brought, or the administration to life. The letter that killeth or the spirit that giveth life. We recently taught on these things. Okay? But if we go to verse 13. 2 Corinthians 3 and 13. Actually, we'll go to 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Did Jesus teach his disciples and even us today in parables, in mysteries? He hid things. 
But here he says, now we use such plainness of speech. When Jesus is teaching or God is showing you the word, who he is in a parable, is it veiled to you? You really need that veil taken away. You need the interpretation, the understanding to see the understanding of what he's speaking by that mystery or that parable, don't you? So Paul says here, we use such plainness of speech. Isn't that interesting? The disciples went to Jesus at one point, Bryce, and they said, Lord, speak no more to us in parables, but speak plainly. Show us the Father. And uh, Jesus told them, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. That's pretty plain speech. And they still didn't understand it. Why? Because the veil was still there. But he did let them know. They had another question for him, Jennifer. Um, Lord, why do you speak to us or to them in parables? Oh, because unto you it's given to know the mysteries of God, but unto them that are without, it's not given. Are you telling me that the understanding of Christ and the truths of God are given to some and not to others? It's exactly what he said, didn't he? But he did say, um, lest at any time they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, be, be converted and I should heal them. So the opportunity there is to remove the veil. But how many of you could testify right now, there's a lot of things about God that are veiled from you here today. Well, I'm going to testify to you, God desires the believing heart to come and have that veil removed and come in to the deep things of God and come into uh, the understanding of His Son that He is the Word and He's not just a man. The veil has to be removed for that to take place. I'll show you that right here. So he said, seeing then that we have such hope, <clears throat> we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Wait, who's the end of the law? Didn't Moses bring the law here? But he said, they could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. In other words, he hid Christ from them. Now, we just got through teaching this from Romans, the 10th chapter, when Paul prayed for Israel. Why did they go looking for Christ somewhere out to bring him down from heaven or bring him up from the deep? Because they were ignorant of God's righteousness. They did not know who Jesus was. And what did he tell them? Here's how you know. He said, the word is nigh thee, and, and it's even in thy heart and in, in thy mouth. That's the word of faith which we preach. Huh? That if thou shalt believe in thine heart and confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and that God had raised him from the dead, Julie, thou shalt be saved. So is he saying you got to believe in order for Christ to be revealed to you and for the veil to be removed? Absolutely. For you to come into the Holy Ghost. Isn't that the promise? For Abraham and Israel, it was a land called Canaan, a land that flowed with milk and honey, which was a type and shadow. When Jesus sent his disciples to Jerusalem, what did he tell them? Go and tarry in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high, till you receive the promise. So what is the new interpretation of the old promise of the promised land that they would receive? The Old Testament was Canaan, a land that flowed with milk and honey. The New Testament, it's the Holy Ghost. It's being baptized in the Holy Ghost. It's receiving the Holy Ghost. 
and they were obedient. They believed, they went, and 120 were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, Julie, and God poured His Spirit out upon all flesh. They received the Holy Ghost and were baptized by fire. There were cloven tongues as a fire on their head, Carrie. Why am I saying all this? Because this promise is to you. Go read it. It's to you, it's to me, it's to as many as the Lord our God should call. To as many as are afar off. Well, if you look at it in physical time, that was 2,000 years ago. That was pretty far off. Oh, man. Let me finish up with this. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. That was a covenant. That was the law. But the end, and, and Romans 10 tells you this, the end of the law is Christ. I believe it's verse 4. Now remember we read about their minds being blinded? Who blinds the mind of them that believe not? Who's lost? But if our gospel be hid, it's hid unto them who are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. That's a key. That believe not. Now listen what we're going to read. But their minds were blinded for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the old testament which veil is done away in christ wait a minute the veil which is to say his flesh when it's rent in twain when it's done away do you see god for who he is do you see him as john testified of him as the i am i am that i am jim huh as the living water as the bread of life as the vine, as the branch, huh? the good shepherd, all of those things. Why? Because the flesh part of you trying to figure out God, Daryl, is removed. It's taken out of the way. Your mind is no longer blinded. You are no longer under the power and control of the God of this world. You want me to prove it to you? Where did Israel want to go when God was taking them out of Egypt to this promise? Where did they want to go instead? Back to Pharaoh, which is a type of Satan. Back to Egypt was the house of bondage, the iron furnace, back where they were slaves. And I'll say it, they were slaves. They built, they had taskmasters on, they built the properties, the things for, for Egypt. They worked under them as slaves. And they said, let's go back. Do you think the God of this world had blinded their minds, Rex? I do. You want me to prove it to you? It's very simple. John 8 and 44. What does Jesus tell a modern day Pharisee at his time? Carrie, you mentioned this not too long ago. He told him, you're of your father the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. So they hated Jesus. Why? Because they only saw him as a man. They only saw him as flesh. They saw him as a carpenter's son. They saw him as an illegitimate child of Mary, Julie. And because they're minds were blinded and the veil was over their face they did not know christ makes you wonder how well do i know christ let me make it simple for you do you want to know him greater do you want to be like him and when he appears you shall see him as he is yes we do then pray and ask god lord remove that veil if my mind is blinded heal my blinded eyes heal my blinded mind bryce I'm going to finish this right now. Verse 15. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. This is so important to listen to right now. Their minds are blinded. Where's the veil at? In their heart. 
Listen closely. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. What is it? We did this already. What is it? The heart. So you mean if I turn my heart towards Christ, towards God, and I'm willing to receive his son as the I am and receive however he appears to me, Bryce, to be the way, the truth, and the life, the veil will be taken away, Dathan. It'll be removed and you'll see Christ for who he is? Wow. So what are we going to do with our hearts right now? We're going to turn them out, Carrie. This is repentance. This is faith toward God. This is us saying, I may not know you for everything you are, God. My mind may be blind right now. My heart may be turned the wrong way. But I'm going to repent, Lord. And I'm going to turn my heart towards you and let this veil be taken away. Walker, like Dan prophesied to you that you might see him as he is and see all those things that you spoke about that night. Amen? See if there's anything else I need to do here. Oh, I love the last part of this. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's everything that Israel didn't have in Egypt. Huh? They were in bondage. They weren't in liberty because they were under another spirit. Is there are times that we may be being controlled and manipulated by the spirit of this world? Huh? Man, I, if I get to preaching on the spirit of this world, we're going to be here a long time. Verse 18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Romans 1, there were some that changed the glory of God made like into an image unto man. Doesn't it say that? Creeping things, four-footed beasts. So if you're just seeing Jesus as a man, could you possibly be changing the glory of God Huh? To flesh and not spirit. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, Bryce, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, we are changed. Our heart turns towards God and we repent of walking in a fleshly mind. And this does set this up perfectly for next week. We'll talk about Adam and Jesus, the resurrection. And we'll see who all's told God, yes or no. Come next week, I promise you, I've said it. The Lord has set this up very good to hear it next week. Any questions? Any thoughts before we go? Daryl. Is this on? I was thinking about uh, that same principle works uh, with the apostles and prophets People saw them as men rather than what they actually was. I was reading in Galatians 4.14. Paul said, And my temptation which was in my flesh he, he despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. So we could have that same perception of, of, of the ministers of God, seeing them as a man rather than uh, Christ. And that's true. And you know why that is, Daryl? Because just like you and I here today, we're standing here as two men. What makes the difference, the whole difference here, is the words that you speak. The words that I'm speaking to you, the words that, like Daryl said, the prophets, the apostles, those men. Yes, they're men, 
But how do you see them? Didn't uh, Paul talk about this in 1 Thessalonians 2? We cease not to pray for you. Read that, Walker. We're going to close with this. This is very powerful. 1 Thessalonians, 2nd chapter, 13th verse. Because this will sum up what Daryl's saying right there. I hope I'm right. <laughs> I could be wrong. <laughs> it says, For this cause also, I got thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye have heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Is that it, Daryl? You didn't receive it as it was the word of men. You received it as a word of God, which is truth, which effectually worketh in them that believe. What a setup. What a beautiful finish right there. Can I get an amen? How about a hallelujah? And a glory to God, huh? Whoo, man. I can see where God is setting this up for uh, Pastor Gary and his wife to come out and teach it on the resurrection. We're going to lead right into it. And, and then I'm so looking forward to Pastor Gary. He's one of the best preachers I've ever seen in my life. I ain't going to tell him that. Don't you guys be lifting him up too high. We'll edit this. But he's a good preacher. He loves God and he's anointed of the Lord. If you know anybody that needs to hear a word from God, you make sure they come every Sunday. I mean that Sunday. Okay? If that's all, uh, Tim. So I've got a question from Merle, and she's asking you, is that what God was talking about when he said that he would remove the flesh from the heart? That he would cut away the flesh from the heart. Yes, yes, and yes. I was meditating in that earlier today. Paul talks about the Israel of God. He doesn't say it's by genealogy. How, what makes a Jew? Or what makes the Israel of God? Because this is New Testament. They're already talking about the Israel of God. And you know as well as I do, after Jesus Christ, it wasn't after physical genealogy anymore. Everything was after the Spirit. So in... Romans, the second chapter, the end of the chapter. For a Jew is not one outwardly, but is one inwardly, whose circumcision is of the heart and not of the flesh, by the Spirit. Huh? That flesh has to be cut away from your heart. Otherwise, it's veiled. Huh? How does that happen, Carrie? The Spirit. It's not an outward work. That's what makes you a true Jew. Thank you, Merle. That's come together so good. You guys get a chance. Look at what I just paraphrased to you. And let the Spirit of God quicken it to you even in a greater manner than what I just spoke to you. Is that good, Tim? Anybody else? 